I remember when uh, I used to be a legalist, and, uh, and not a mean legalist, but a rough one. And uh, you, you teach, you preach what you're taught, what you're grown up. I grew up, you know, after I got saved at a Baptist church. I went to a Baptist uh, Bible school, Tennessee Temple. And, uh, I, and so you just say, well, these guys know what they're talking about. So you kind of go along with that, you know, with back then, uh, women were not allowed to wear slacks and men couldn't have hair touch their ears and, you know, and uh, God forbid a movie and on and on it goes. And so uh, there were a lot of rules. But as a pastor, I began over the few years, I began to realize that something was not according to scripture. And so I began to come to the grace side. And I came out of legalism to live the grace life. And uh, not necessarily dispensationally yet, but it was the grace life. I remember my daughter, Jenny, who, by the way, some of you pray for her. I appreciate that. She just got engaged to be married here. Uh, Yeah, it was really nice. And so we're excited about that, a wonderful guy. And, uh, but uh, I remember when we made the change, before prior, she used to wear culottes all the time. How many of you remember the culotte deals, okay? Yeah, and uh, so we went to Grace and started wearing slacks, and I'll never forget, Jenny said, thanks, Dad. (laughs) After all these years, now it's okay. (laughs) So I said, well, honey, that's growth. So uh, anyway... You know, if somebody like Dr. Lee Robertson or some of the great evangelists I had the privilege of listening to through Temple, and they say these things, they say, well, they must be right. These are great men. And so in your thinking, and, but then you begin to compare Scripture with what they're saying. <laughs> and so we come to the grace side. I, I never forget it. Uh, when I started preaching the grace life, uh, we lost probably about 200 people over a year's time uh, because they, they had to live by being told how they were to live all the time rather than the scriptures. And uh, so, but we gained a thousand. Now that, that was a pretty good swap for me anyway. I, I was grateful that people were realizing that you live in grace. And we always do. So the title of my message this morning, it's time to stop judging grace and to start living grace. Amen? Amen. Salvation, we know from start to finish, is all of grace. It's all about what he's done for us. He died, he was buried, he rose again. That's the gospel. And that gospel can save you for all eternity. But it's not just what he's done, but what he's doing to ensure that when we become Christians, he guarantees us that we will be going home one day. <laughs> we will be going to heaven. He states this, Ephesians 1, 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted. How? In the beloved, in whom we have redemption. He paid the price to set us free so as never to return to that position of lostness ever again the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace Ephesians 2 8 9 you know it well 
For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Did you notice the words are bigger on your screens? Did you notice that? Well, I was having trouble seeing that screen back there a little bit. And so the choir was having a little problem too, I think, some of them. Uh, and so we put it up on here. Now you can see all the way from the back now. You can't, you can't say, well, what did he say? It's big enough for some of us. I saw some of you squinting. And so anyway, not by works, lest any man should boast. Romans 4, 5 says this. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justify, justifieth the ungodly, if I can say that, his faith is counted for righteousness. His faith is. It states in Philippians 1, 6, after you come to Christ, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, he started you, you've been saved, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's his promise to take you all the way through to heaven. He states in Hebrews 12, 2, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doth easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And then looking unto Jesus, he's the author, the originator, the beginner, and finisher of our faith. He starts us in faith. He completes us in faith. That's his promise to us. I've said sometimes on several occasions that I have been saved. I am being saved and I will be saved. I have been justified. I am being sanctified and I will be glorified. I have been delivered from the penalty of sin. I'm being delivered from the practice of sin. And one day I will be completely delivered from the presence of sin. All of that is wrapped up the moment you believe that you're a sinner, you can't save yourself, but you understand that Christ died for your sins, was buried and rose again, and you put your faith in him and that work. And when you do that, at that moment, you become a child of God forever, amen? But some people cry out. They say, listen, since we are under grace, we can live any old way that we want to. That's just not true. You know, when you're saved, you want to please God, you don't want to sin. You want to do what's right. You want to live for God. Opponents of total grace salvation they accuse us, we who have believed in total, once-for-all forgiveness, they accuse us of encouraging people to sin since all of our sins have been forgiven. Of course, that's not true again, whatsoever. Some say this, well, if your sins are already forgiven, then do you have a license to sin? Because if it's already forgiven, there's no consequences if you sin. So to sin is no big deal. No big deal. And I think the fact that God in heaven left heaven, became the God-man, 
on an old rugged cross, suffered and died for all of our sins, no big deal about sin. That's why he went to the cross. Amen? Now, when people begin to live with a mindset of having a license to sin, the reaction on the other end within Christendom, they say, well, we have to counteract that. So they come on the scene and they begin to promote what's known as lordship salvation. Christ must be lord of all before and after salvation to maintain it. And their thought is that does away with license to sin because if a person, if he's lord in their life, they will not want to sin. But when you say he has to be lord of your life, before you can get saved, that's works. If you say he has to be Lord to maintain your salvation, once again, you're trying to live at a certain level in order to keep it, that's works. And that does away with the gospel of grace. Did you pick that up at all? The truth is this here, salvation is by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ. He died, he was buried, he rose again, and that is enough, that alone, period. Amen? God doesn't deal with us based upon our works or our own efforts, but by faith in Christ's work. And the reason a believer is always accepted is because they're in Christ. The reason he accepts you today, if you're saved, is because you're in his son. And I have given this 16 million times. When you put your faith in the gospel of grace, the spirit of God takes you out of your position in Adam as a sinner on your way to hell, and he baptizes you, identifies you with, places you into, fuses you into the spiritual body of Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Now, I'm clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And the reason God the Father accepts me, he looks down and he sees his son's righteousness that covers me. I'm accepted because I'm in his son. Nothing that I do. Paul tells some believers in Romans 6, 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. Colossians 2, 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk ye in him. How did you receive him? By faith. How did we live for him then? By faith. In what his word says. Amen. Now, it's at this point that some object and say, so, we're not under law, we don't have to keep the Ten Commandments. And since we're saved, we can kill, we can steal, we can lie, we can drink, we can be immoral. That's the farthest from the truth. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul mentions nine of those commandments in Romans chapter 13. You need to read that sometime. Paul anticipated, by the way, this response. He says this, 
For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. The next verse then says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. After being saved, can we live like lost people? Yeah, we can. (laughs) You ask Lot, ask Samson, ask David, ask Solomon, ask Demas. (laughs) There's a number of people who didn't live correctly even though they were believers, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament. We can live like lost people. As a matter of fact, I've seen some Christians worse than lost people, amen? But the question is, should we live like lost people? And the answer is no. And the reason is sin is inconsistent with who we now are in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. And when we say that's inconsistent of who we have become, we're a child of the king, a child of Christ, a child of God. What a privilege. Romans 5.20 says this here. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Verse 21 then. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he says, chapter 6, verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Some people have the twisted mindset, well, there's plenty of grace, it will outrun my sin, so I'll just sin, and when I'm sinning, I'm magnifying the grace of God. Uh, You ever come across somebody like that? Well, Paul says, listen, God forbid. He says, we're not to pervert God's grace. We're not to take advantage of God's grace. With some, grace has forgiven our sin, and since he's forgiven our sins, we don't have to answer for our sin. If so, then we do have a license to sin. And once again, that's not true. Romans 6, 2, Paul says this, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Paul says, you trying to sin more so you can show grace more? God forbid. Amen? And that word forbid there, I looked it up, it means by no means. That's unthinkable. May it never be. That's inconceivable thinking. Oh, God, let it never be. Perish the thought. No, no, and no. We don't need to magnify the grace of God. And the reason we don't is the depths of our sin has already magnified God's grace on Calvary. That magnified the grace of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live, now get this, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them 
and rose again. When we believed in the gospel of Christ, our old sinful nature was crucified with Christ. And because of that, now we have Christ's resurrection life in us. I, was, I did a study one time on the love and life, and it boiled down to that the Greek word for life is the word zoe, and it means the love life of Christ. In other words, living inside of me is the person, but the love life of Christ. I... You know, when he died, I died with him. When he was buried, I was buried with him. And when he rose, I rose with him. My old man is dead. My new man is alive. And as long as we try to allow Jesus Christ to live in us through prayer, the word of God, through faithfulness and so on, allowing him to be living, we'll stay away from sin. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen? It's him in me, and I want him to live in me. And I do that by staying close to him. A lost person is dead to God. How many understand that? A lost person is dead to God, so he lives out his sin. He does what comes naturally. A lost person sins. Why? He's a sinner. We've all been there, right? We're all sinners. But a saved person is dead to sin, so he lives for God. You get that? A lost person is dead to God, so he lives out his sin. But a saved person is dead to sin so he can live for God. We understand now sin no longer owns us, we that are saved. God owns us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, Calvary. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I don't own myself anymore since I got saved. He owns me. Amen? That's a pretty good trade-off right there, by the way. Some people, it's interesting, to live in faith and grace, it's not about living as we please. It's not living in rank sin. Living in grace is not being ungodly. It's not being like the rest of the world. We're different. We're Christ ones now. And that's one of the disappointing things is there are so many churches today that try to get as close to the world as they possibly can so that they can be accepted by the world. And you can't tell if they are saved or not saved. 
We are to be different. Come out from among them and be different. If Christ loves me, I ought to be different than a lost person. Amen? Amen. I hope that I will be. God does care for us believers. We're his children. And he cares how we live, our conduct, our behavior. We're not free or have license to do as we please, but we're free to live out who we are in Christ. That's what we're free to do. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, never, ever, never condones sins in a person's life before or after salvation because of grace. Paul said this, Galatians 6 to 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, and he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. You will get paid for what you sow. If you live for the Spirit, through the Spirit for God, you'll be blessed. But if you live for your flesh, you're going to have trouble in your life. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 5, it is reported commonly that there is fornication, immorality among you. As such, fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles. Lost people's not even doing what you're doing. That one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. He, Paul, he, he didn't just smile when people were sinning. He says this in verse 5 then. To deliver such a one, this immoral moral one, unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved. He said, listen, I, you need to go and deliver him up. Let Satan have him. You know, if he's saved, his soul will be intact, but he's going to have trouble in his flesh physically. Verse 9, he says this, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. Immoral people are not to be our best friends. We're not supposed to run with people that are shacking up with people. Amen? Amen. And some of us, we just go along, that's no big deal. No, that's wrong. Paul said that. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. Doesn't sound like he's condoning sin to me. He states this in verse 11. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. You hear about so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. Amen? Verse 14. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Then he says this in Romans 3, 8. 
and not rather as we be slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come whose damnation is just. You don't do good so bad comes, or you don't do bad, I should say, so good comes. That only leads to damnation. And to say God saved us from our sin, he was willing to go through all that suffering to then give us license to sin is foolishly wrong, spiritually ignorant, stupid, amen, unstudied, not understanding what grace is about. Christ said this through Paul, Galatians 5.13. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one. He says in Romans 6.11. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Don't allow it to be a part of your life, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then he states in verse 13, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. We've been saved. And your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Verse 18, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Verse 22, but now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Now, does that sound like silence to you? Does that sound like license God help us. Just because we're saved by grace, we live in grace, there's no such thing as license to sin. None whatsoever. Even grace, Titus 2.11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us grace, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Grace teaches us not license to sin. It teaches us to live for God. That's what grace does. And grace teaches us to live not in sin, but in godliness. This is so simple, so plain, that we'd want to miss it, to miss it. We'd want to miss it, to miss it. The problem with many people that I have found over the years of judging grace is that many of them have come out or have been part of religious bondage. And that's all they've ever known. They've been ingrained to a strict religious legalistic system following rules, personal preferences, dispensational laws and commandments, 
in order to be spiritual, in order to be right with God, in order to be accepted by God, in order to be approved and blessed by God. To them, it's been a performance. And one's flesh likes to perform. That's why religion is so popular. Amen? Grace gives us the information, the absolute truth to overcome sin. He's given us 2 Peter 1, 3, I think, given us everything that pertains unto life and to godliness through the knowledge of him. God's given us everything necessary so we don't have to fall into this sin. But grace never, it does not force us to overcome sin. In our life, we are free, we are at liberty to walk godly, but we are not robots. It's our choice. I can choose to live godly, or I can choose to be a part of sin. I have the liberty, the freedom to do either one. So what's your choice? Paul pleads with us in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'm about done. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul says, I beseech you, I beg you, I'm pleading with you. Because Paul knew what was going to happen in the end. And your decision, which way you're going to go, grace or sin, will determine the ending of your life and eternity. Because the decisions you make in this life, when you stand before God, that will determine whether you're a vessel of honor or a vessel that's not of honor. It states in 2 Timothy 2.19, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from sin. But in a great house, the body of Christ, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, the sins, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified meat, for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. You see, when I'm a vessel of honor in this life, God says you're usable right now. I can use you for my glory. But if I'm a vessel of dishonor, I can't use you right now. And by the way, you're hurting the very testimony of my son and the work he did for you. And you will have to stand and answer for that one day. 
It states in Romans chapter 5, I think it is, second, no, 2 Corinthians 5, for we must all, how, how many is all? That's all of us. Appear, we that are saved, before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. In other words, I have to answer for my life. Have I been a vessel of honor or have I been a vessel of dishonor? And then he states this, knowing that we're saved, our soul and spirit will go to heaven, but notice this, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That's right there at the judgment seat of Christ. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, God will not be pleased with vessels that have been dishonor, dishonorable. Those vessels who said sinning's not too bad and those vessels who have tried to allow Jesus Christ to be the center of their life and live for God. Amen? Now I don't know about you, when I stand before him, that frightens me. I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. But when I stand before him, I want him to be proud of me. I want him to say, you did a good job, Jim. You hung in there. Yeah, you had some ups and downs, but you kept striving at it. You kept wiping the dust off, getting up, and going forward for me. That's why I used you sometimes. What about you? I remember as a young boy, this kid says, listen, we're going down the street, we're going to a birthday party. And uh, I said, well, I don't have anything to give. And they said, oh, that's okay, they don't need gifts or whatever, it's just for this girl. And so I went there, a bunch of people there, and on the the table, there were all kinds of presents wrapped in bows. It's beautiful. And I'm just a poor little runt, you know. And I, I, I go in there, I don't, I don't have anything. So I reach in my pocket and I said, what do I have? I'll never forget it. I had two quarters and a pack of Beechy's gum. Anybody know what Beechy's gum is? Okay. <laughs> And so I didn't know what to do. I, so I put the pack of Beechy's gum up on the table with two quarters. That's all I had. And I remember she was doing the ribbons and taking it off and everything. Then she came to the Beechy's gum and the two quarters. And she said, oh, uh, what's this? <laughs> I was stupid enough to say, well, that's my gift. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's mine. I was so embarrassed and ashamed. I've never forgotten that, by the way. But then I think about the time I stand before God. I don't want to put up their beachy's gum in two quarters for my life. I want something that's special for him. Don't you? Father, we love you.
Thank you for loving us. Thank you for grace. Your wonderful grace that made it possible for this whole thing to start. The gospel of grace. And when we believed in that gospel of grace, you saved us. But the grace didn't end there. You just keep pouring your grace out for our life. You want us to live in that grace for you. And I just pray that you spoke to somebody's heart this morning. That they will decide they're going to be vessels of honor from now on. No more dishonor, but honor. Touch the people's minds and their hearts. And when we leave here, may we not allow the devil to come and take away the thoughts that they're having even at this moment and forget about it all. May they understand this is real, this is true. And may they decide it's Jesus Christ all the way from now on. If you do that, God, this is a victorious day. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? We hope that you received a blessing from today's broadcast. We would love to have you to visit us in person. You can watch us live and view past services on our website at gpnd.net. For more information, please visit our website or contact us by phone. Until next week, may God richly bless you as our prayer.